0: Well, as Matt already said, welcome everybody. Here's what we're going to do. We have planned this year to do a a series, a a serious and long study in the book of Deuteronomy, which we called For the Love of God. But leading up to that, we're going to spend some time in Mark's Gospel. And we're just going to look at four little passages in Mark's Gospel. And in none of them are we going to go into great depths. In particular, we're just going to look at one or two topics. Uh, just to get our juices going for 2018. And so the passage in front of you, we're not going to do all of it, but we're going to pick out one or two of the main ideas. So let me pray again, and then we're going to jump into Mark chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, please help us this morning. We come before you, expecting you to do all the hard work of lifting our hearts of invigorating our minds, of turning us to yourself. Please, O oh God, once again, as you did last year, this year, be gracious and kind to us. For we ask it in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mark chapter 1. Now here's a question I love to ask. Have a look at this picture in front of you. There it is, uh, a brilliant drawing Um, as you can see and here's the question I love to ask what will it take to satisfy your soul I don't know what kind of holiday you had I had a super holiday I'm a little bit jet-lagged to be honest I had such a good holiday what is it that will satisfy your soul did you find it on holiday did you find that thing that will keep you completely and come totally satisfied the reason I've got a picture up there for you is I think there's a big difference between people and animals and the reason I do this is just to show how differently we're wired. So what will it take to satisfy an animal? There, That is a dog in case you couldn't see. What will it take to satisfy a dog? Food, water, shelter. We've got a dog, it takes a bit more than that. He needs a pair of socks and some underpants because he eats those regularly. Uh, apparently, I don't know why. What will it take to satisfy an animal? I, I think it's physical. No matter how you weigh it up, if a dog has got food, water, shelter, underpants, bit of affection, run on the beach, they're satisfied. But what will it take to satisfy our souls? We know that if you have all of those comforts, all physical comforts, you still come back, Empty after a while, the thing you thought that would be your ultimate, just wears thin after a while and you end up again with that thirst, that hunger. What will it take to satisfy the human soul? And I've got a suggestion for you and it's the next slide. Look at this picture here. More than physical things, for the human being, I think there are two things that it will take to truly satisfy our souls. The first is truth. We need food, and that's why I put it in brackets there, food for the mind. It's all very well to fill our tummies, but we know that after you've eaten all, soon you'll be hungry again. We need truth, food for the mind. Human beings need to find something that they can believe in. No one is content in believing a lie. No one wants to live for something they know is not true we need to find truth but we also need to find beauty something that is not just true but it grabs our hearts it's something that moves us something that we look at and find incredibly beautiful i've called it food for the heart we need both of those things in order for our souls to be satisfied. And it's very important that we have both. We can't just have one without the other. I'm thinking, what could be beautiful but not true? Let's think. Drugs. Drugs is a great... I take it that when you're high on certain drugs, it must be an incredibly beautiful experience. Otherwise, why would people keep doing it? I, I take it it must be beautiful. But it's not true. And because it's not true, it ends up destroying you. It's beauty without, or, or sex. I guess sex without you know, love could be a very beautiful thing, I suppose, but because it's not true, it never lasts. It always ends up empty. It's the same with truth without beauty, which is what religion is. Religion is truth, things that we believe dogmatically, but they're not beautiful. We don't find them grabbing our hearts. And very soon we become angry. And and I've seen it time and time again. Children who grow up in uh, fundamentalist, conservative, religious households always grow up angry. They always end up, they think it's true. But it makes God just grumpy and they end up angry because it hasn't got the beauty. What I'm trying to show is we need both of those things. If your soul is going to be at rest and then what we need is both truth and beauty. And they need to come together at the same time. And here's my point. If we could find something that is both true and beautiful, wouldn't that be good news? Don't you think that would be incredibly good news? If someone could come to you and say, Hey, I found this. It's true and it's beautiful. It's food for your mind. It'll satisfy. I think that would be incredibly good news. Jesus Christ is good news. Look at that first line there in Mark chapter 1 verse 1. The beginning of the good news, because that's what the word gospel is, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. By the way, I just noticed there's if you have any questions, you can text them through. There's the number there for you. Jesus is God's promised ruler. Look with me what it says. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, so we're talking about a person, we're not talking philosophy here, we're not talking high fancy ideas, we're talking about a person, Jesus, a human person, Jesus. But look who he is, the good news of Jesus, Christ. Christ is an English word which translates the Greek word Christos, which translates the Hebrew word Messiah, and when you finish with all those translations it just means ruler. Jesus is the ruler, the king. Look what he's called, the son of God. The son of God is a title, and it means ruler. It means the one God has chosen to rule the world, to rule the universe. Jesus is God's promised ruler. Why do I say promised? Because if you look on your lap, if you don't have an outline, but you've got a real thing, you see this fat part here? That whole fat part is just promise. That whole fat part on the left hand side is just promising that one day God would send his ruler. Jesus Christ is God's promised ruler. Now, we don't have time tonight, but the first half of this chapter gives all the witnesses to that. If you just scan your eyes, you've got Mark telling you that Jesus is God's chosen ruler. Then you've got Isaiah the prophet, and actually it's a mixture of a whole lot of prophets. um, All through the Old Testament, that little quote, they all say that Jesus is the Christ. In verse 4, this preacher called John, the prophet John, appears, and he says that Jesus is God's promised ruler. If you squeeze your eyes down to verse 9 Jesus gets baptized Uh, there's a voice from heaven and the Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove. Both the Father in heaven and the Spirit descending on Jesus. Both of them say that Jesus is God's promised ruler. Actually God quotes Isaiah 42 and Psalm 2. I mean uh, then you have Jesus himself in verse 14 saying that the kingdom of God is here because I'm here in other words the first half of the chapter is just witness after witness after witness over a period of 1,500 years all of them saying Jesus is God's promised ruler. It's true. It's true. But that's not what we're going to look at tonight. Here's what we're going to look at. Is it good news? Look at that. Jesus is God's Promised ruler. Now I don't know about you, but when I see the word ruler I don't jump for joy. That doesn't sound like good news to me. I'm thinking Donald Trump, I'm thinking Malcolm Turnbull. None of those things make me happy. That's not good news. How is it that this is good news? I want to show you. And I want to show you quickly what it tells us in this second half of the chapter. Here's why it's good news. Jesus is God's promised ruler. Firstly, look what it says. Because he has authority over people. Look with me there from verse 18. And it could be verse 16. My eyes are trying to focus. Maybe if I could stand further away. It's a sign of getting younger. Look at verse 16. It is 16. Look what happens. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. Because that's what fishermen do. What do fishermen do? They throw nets into the sea. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and Johnny's brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them. They left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You might be sitting here tonight and go, "Whoa, fishermen are such gullible people. Don't you think fishermen are stupid? You could think that they were very very arrogant to think that these were normal normal people what we're being shown is that Jesus has incredible authority over people he walks along there are people doing their daily chores he says to them hey you yes you follow me and they drop everything look They leave their nets behind. They leave dad behind in the boat with the servants. They leave everything. That's their livelihood. Don't think you can go and buy boats and fishing net up the road. These were poor people. This is all they had. They leave everything behind. And they follow him like that. Is it because they're gullible? Or is it because Jesus is God's promised ruler and he has authority over people? And when people hear his words, they are drawn to him. He just draws people to himself. He turns their life upside down. You were fishing for fishies, but I'll make you fishermen of men. You follow me, I'll turn your life upside down. I'll make something of you that you weren't before. Jesus hasn't run out of steam. He's doing this today. This morning when I finished speaking, some dude randomly walked up to me and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. A year ago, I heard Mark's gospel that you were teaching and I became a Christian. Some dude, I became a Christian. It happens all over the world. It's here tonight. Some of you here will bear witness. You heard Jesus' words and his words gripped your heart and just drew you to him, kicking and screaming and your whole family thinks you're nuts. But you know that he has authority and he's called you to himself. Jesus has authority over people. But secondly, look what else. Jesus has authority in his teaching. Look what happens with me. Verse 21. They went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath day he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority... Uh, Not as the scribes. Jesus has authority in his teaching. And there's an incredible sentence there. He taught them not as the scribes. You know, what does every human teacher have in common? The answer is they give reported speech. They tell you what they think God said. Moses got it right. Moses told, Moses went up in front of all the people, he never said these are my ideas, guys, guys, I've come up with 10 laws, 10 things I thought of last night, I think they're brilliant. No, he said this is what God says. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, all of them, this is what God says. Even the prophet of Islam, Muhammad, he doesn't say, these are my ideas. He says, I am reciting to you what Gabriel in the cave told me God told him to tell me. I'm doing it tonight. I'm just like a scribe. I'm just telling you what it says. None of that is like Jesus. He's unique because Jesus doesn't teach reported speech. He doesn't tell us what he thinks God says. Jesus speaks with his own authority because he is God. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says to them, you've heard it said, it's in the Bible, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at it, authority He just speaks on his own account because he is the one whom God has promised and chosen as ruler. He has authority in his teaching unlike every other human being. That's why Christianity is so true. We don't trust men. I mean, do you trust people? We trust the one who came from God and is God and speaks on his own authority. But not only that. Look at number three. He has authority over people. He has authority in his teaching. Jesus has authority in the spiritual realm. Look what happens. Verse 23. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Unclean spirits aren't in the pub. They may be. Very often they're in the church, in the gathering of God's people. Jesus said it. Not everyone who gathers belongs to him. Of course not. It's a mixture. Here is the church, the synagogue, the gathering of God's people. And right in the middle is a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, verse 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, "Be silent! Come out of him!" And the unclean spirit convulsing them, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, "What is this? A new teaching, with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits; they obey him." And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. What does Jesus demonstrate? Through his words, he's got incredible authority, complete mastery in the spiritual realm. There sits a guy listening to the law, to religion, Sabbath after Sabbath. How long do you think this guy sat in church for? I don't know. But he sat there for a long time and he heard sermon after sermon, be good, be good, be a good boy. Don't be bad, be good. Don't be naughty, be good. That's all he heard. And it had no impact on him. In walks Jesus. He teaches the gospel, the good news, and immediately, boom, there's a confrontation. And what does Jesus do? With his words, he drives out evil. That's why at our church we run deliverance ministries. Did you know that? It happens at 9.30 every Sunday morning and at 5 o'clock every Sunday evening. It's a deliverance ministry. Because as you preach and teach the gospel, evil is driven out. Spirits give way to Jesus because he is the one who has absolute authority. There's no magic. You don't need any magic. You just need to teach the gospel. That's deliverance ministry. And Jesus drives out evil spirits. He has authority over the spiritual realm. And finally, look at this, number four. Jesus has authority also in the physical realm. Look what happens in verse 29. Immediately he left the synagogue, he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay evil with a... uh, (laughs) See, I see the word mother-in-law and I think evil. I'm going to stop that. Verse 13. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill With a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came, he took her by the hand, he lifted her up. The fever left her. And she began to serve them. What does Jesus demonstrate? Authority in the physical realm. Here is a woman who's sick. Jesus just walks in, lays his hand on her. Up she goes and off she goes about her business. He demonstrates complete authority in the physical realm. Now, this tells me it's true. Jesus is God's promised ruler. He's proved it. He's demonstrated it's true. But is it good news? Do you think that's good news? Think with me more. Have a look at this again. Look at the next slide. Look at that slide and think about it. Jesus Christ has authority in every conceivable realm. He's got authority over people. He's got authority in matters of truth and falsehood. He teaches the tr- in his teaching. He's got authority over the spiritual realm, which we can't always see, yet we know it's there, we feel its effects. And he's got authority in the physical realm. Now, pause with me. Can you see that that's good news? In fact, when you think about it, it's the best news. Here's why. Because eh, where do all your troubles come from? Where does all your pain come from? Where does all your hurt come It comes from one of those realms. That's all there is. Think about it. Think about people. How much evil and hurt do people do? I, I'd be, I'm a geek, and disguised, I know. But I'm, I, my holiday, if I wasn't surfing or kitesurfing, I was reading history, because that's my favourite thing. I read book after book. And I'll tell you, after a while, you know, it's, it's worse than MA15. You know, you read the history of people, it is brutality. It is endless brutality. I've just finished a book on the biography of Jerusalem it's hideous what people do to people it's it's a I could tell you stories it's extraordinary have you been hurt by people i'm sure you have none of you are sitting here saying mother worst hurt that's ever happened to me in my life is a dog you will never believe what this dog did to me no no it's people that hurt you and it's not just people it's you as well you know that you're the cause of your worst troubles you know the things that disappoint you the most are not the environment it's you you're your own worst enemy well I am I know that's true about me now listen to the good news Jesus has authority over people it's such fantastic news here is somebody who can fix People. Here's somebody who can turn people's lives around. Here's somebody who can turn my life around because I'm a people. I'm one of them. It's such good news. I've been in Durban, South Africa, and I bumped into my sister there. My sister became a Christian about five years ago. She, she wouldn't mind me saying. She hopelessly trashed her life. Um, and, you know, the change. Every time I go back, it's, it's jaw-dropping. She's not seeing a psychologist, she's not seeing a psychologist, I'm not against those things, but Jesus has completely turned her around. It's it's amazing. Think about teaching. Look at, he's got authority in his teaching. Aren't, Aren't you tired of the spin? Isn't it horrible living under a lie? I was just laughing with a couple over there because I've been in South Africa. You know I'm going to be boring for a month or two because I use all those illustrations. I've been coast seas, okay? You know, I went to this shanty town where I got a Zulu friend of a friend who I used to train who preaches the gospel there. Do you know this dude drove up into this shanty town? I kid you not, with his limo. He jumped out. He had a tent thousands of people came these poor poor people he stood up in front of them all and he said it's time for breakthrough they love that word breakthrough it's such a spin word it's time for a new breakthrough God wants to bless you and he's told me he wants to see the authenticity of your faith so he wants you to give your cell phones that's what they call mobile phones and so and so help me a trolley cart Passed up and down the hundreds and nearly a thousand poor people and they were just throwing their cell phones in. How do I know this? Because I wasn't there. One lady came to my friend and said, I've lied to God. I'm in big trouble. And he said, what's wrong? What's wrong? He said, I went to this meeting and I had to show my face and, and I didn't have faith and I've let God down. And he said, what have you done? And she told him the story and she said, I threw my cell phone in, but just before I did, I took the SIM card out. You know, aren't you, isn't it a joy that Jesus tells the truth? That we don't have to be buffeted and bashed around. That there is truth and we can find it written down for us or what about the spiritual realm the bible teaches there is spirits that are opposed to us why do they hate you what have you ever done to them well it's because they hate the god in whose image you've been made and therefore they target you because they can't get at him and yet jesus has complete authority that we have nothing to fear or what about the physical realm every single one of us are constantly disappointed by physical breakdown if you don't believe me it's because you haven't reached 70 yet but from 70 or whatever onwards it starts breaking down it's just it's a breakdown what a joy jesus has complete authority there as well when did jesus do this We don't see it in this passage. It carries on in Mark's gospel. If you come back, you'll hear. On the cross, Jesus asserted his authority forever and ever. On the cross, people mocked him, crucified him, opposed him, and yet he loved them, and he died in order to forgive their sins. On the cross, we see the truth of Jesus. There we see truth perfectly permanently forever displayed as jesus christ dies without having ever committed any sin because he died in our place bearing the penalty we deserve on the cross he defeated the spiritual realm satan threw everything at jesus he could and jesus copped it he took it all I, I, this is not in the bible but I, you know if i was jesus i would have said is that all you got you know jesus took it all and he defeated the physical realm because Jesus, what, what physical suffering do you suffer that he didn't suffer on that cross? And yet he rose again, shook it all off. Now he never suffers physically again. You will suffer until you rise again like he did. But on the cross, he did all of those things. It's good news. It's the best news let me try and illustrate a few. I'm going to close with an illustration that I often use. You've probably heard it before. You know, when I hear good news, something in Coles, you know, it's got a sale in the meat department or something. Let me tell you what good news really means. Look at verse 1. See why there it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. Why doesn't it say good news, Duane? Why does the Bible have to be complicated? If it means good news, why do they say gospel? Because gospel is a technical word. It actually comes from the old English word Godspell, which actually comes from the ancient Greek word euangelion. It's a technical word. And it means good news, but not just Coles's having a sale in the meat department. It means news that radically changes your life and sets you free. So let me illustrate, and I'll close with this. Imagine you're in your village. So we're going back. Let's go back to Jesus' day, the year 1 BC. All the way in your village. And there you are in some rural little village, because that's where everyone lives, in rural little... And you've got your little cabbage patch, and you're growing your vegetables, and your son's milking the cow, and mum and daughter are making you new clothes, because you've worn the same clothes for four months until they make you new clothes. You know, and you're in this lovely little thatched dwelling village. And suddenly one day you look up and here comes the stranger running into the middle of your village, and it's not pretty. His feet are cut up and broken because he's been running. He's got blood all over him. He's gonna die. He's, he's, he's managed to limp into your village. There's no CNN, there's no news, there's no internet. There's long distance before electricity. And he collapses and, dude, what's wrong? He's come from another village. Guess what? A foreign army whose language you've never heard of whose faces you've never seen before, whose clothes are just weird. A foreign army is invading and they are burning and brutalizing villagers because that's what they did. All the children who look strong enough are sold as slaves. All the women are raped, stock standard, and all the men are killed. That's just what you do. And everything is being burned. And he alone is a survivor. And he's lying there saying, and they're coming for you. And he dies. What do you do? What do you do? Phone Donald? Trump, I mean? Do you get hold of the United Nations? You phone the police. There's nobody. You are utterly, completely helpless. There you stand. And you look at this dead. P- what do you do? Oh, you run. You, there's nowhere to run to. If you run there, you'll starve to death. There's no coals, there's no highways, there's no roads, there's no... You are stuck. You are completely at the mercy of this coming invasion. What do you do every day? Every day you wake up, you look out to the hills. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? You look at your daughter, you just think, what are they going to do to you? you look at your wife. In fact, it's so bad at the last siege at Masada, which I was reading about, all the men killed their wives and daughters because they couldn't bear to think what would happen to them when the Romans got in and ten they drew lots, ten were left who killed everybody else and they committed suicide. That's what you did when you saw a foreign invader come because there's nothing else to do and every day you terrified and every day you milk the cow and water the cabbages and wonder if this is your last day and then one day you look up and there's a little figure running down the hill, coming towards you, shouting something you can't hear. And as he gets closer, guess what he's shouting? That word in verse 1, ungelion." news, good news. And the whole village gathers round and in runs this dude. You should see his feet. His feet are shredded. They are broken. He's been running for three days. How lovely are those feet. How lovely are the feet of those who bring good news. And he screams, "You, good news. And you give him water and you give him food and you sit dead still and he tells you, they've been defeated. That foreign invading army has been completely obliterated. They've stopped, they've turned back, they've gone to their own land. You look at your daughter, you look at your wife, you look at your cows and your cabbages. It's all safe. It's free. What do you do at that moment? You pledge allegiance to the king who saved you, who fought that army and delivered you. That's the good news that we're talking about Jesus Christ is God's ruler who's delivered you from people and from yourself from truth and error from the spiritual realm and he will one day raise us up and we will never physically suffer ever again it's the best news ever But I think Coles is having a sale on... No, what can compare? What can compare? What must we do? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom, the ruler of God, God's ruler, God's kingdom is at hand. Here's what he wants you to do. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus doesn't want you to go, that was a great sermon. He doesn't want you to do that. What he wants you to do is repent. Change allegiance. Pledge your allegiance to him. He's God's ruler. That's what repent means. Stop ruling yourself. Especially don't let your passions rule you. Let him rule you. And believe the good news. Trust it. Put your hope in it. Believe it. Well I'm going to let you think about those things and if there's any questions you can can text them. But let me give you a few moments to pledge allegiance to Jesus and trust in him. I'll give you a few seconds to do that. Jesus said the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is here repent and believe in the gospel Jesus Christ you are good news you are where truth and beauty collide and come together please will you help us to turn from false news from fake news to the good news help us to trust you and believe in you please call us to be yours amen cool uh, are there any questions are oh, there are there's, in fact there's an essay as a christian i'm convinced that the old testament clearly points to jesus being the promised ruler of god's people I can understand the skepticism back in the first century, but why are Jews today still convinced that Jesus is not their promised Messiah? What are they missing? Well, I can tell you what they're missing. I can't speak for every Jew. And by the way, please remember the book of Acts tells us that many, many Jews turned to Jesus and many priests were obedient to the faith. You can read that in Acts 14, I think. So let's not over, you know, let's not single them out. However, what they are missing is the first half of your question they don't know their Bibles. That sounds awfully arrogant. How can you tell another religion they don't know their own Bible? Because that's what Jesus said. When Jesus was on earth, he said to them, you don't know the scriptures. You don't understand your own Bible because it points to me. If they understood the Old Testament, they would see it points to Jesus. So the reason is they don't know their Bibles. Um, And what are they missing? Uh, Sadly are missing everything. Do you know and I I it's long since I read this. The nation, the nationality with the highest rate of atheism in the world are the Jewish people. Did you know that? Now I don't know if that's true but I read it somewhere, take it or leave it. Here's why. Because if I was a Jew and I didn't believe in Jesus, I'd be an atheist. Look at all the promises God's made, he hasn't kept one of them. What kind of God is that? It's only in Jesus that every promise God ever made has come true. So, great question. Since Jesus is such authority, then why does he allow such bad things to happen in churches? Because bad things are good for us. That's why. It's like your child. You, you make bad, I hope you do, make bad things happen to your child because you love them and you care for them. That's what Jesus does. A lot of bad things are good things. They don't feel good, um, but they do a lot of good, um, as someone over there told me, and I've never forgotten it. Um, you know, So that's why. Also, bad things happen because they're bad people. Not everyone in the church is Christian. Not everything that's done in the name of Jesus has got anything to do with Jesus. I just told you about a dude who collected cell phones. That was all in the name of Jesus, by the way. So, of course, you know. But the church is not what you see. The church is the universal, invisible body of believers who God is keeping to the very end. Hmm. Jesus sounds true, but he doesn't sound very beautiful and wonderful to me. What can I do? Well, I only hope that was at the start of the sermon. (laughs) that's all I can say, hopefully you texted that in early Um, but no, you know, just in case you didn't the more you study Jesus, oh let me ask you a question what do you think Jesus lacks? let me ask you this question, what must Jesus do for you to think he is beautiful? I'd love to hear that from you Because anyone I've ever chatted to quickly discovers that Jesus is even better than they thought he was. And that our best hopes and dreams, he's done more than that. And if you don't know that, then you don't know him yet. So patiently keep searching him, keep investigating him, keep getting to know him. He is even better than you could think or imagine.